Jeremiah chapter 51 for the evening. When we get to the book of Daniel, I'm going to spend some time talking about Babylon architecturally and um, as far as being impenetrable in the city that that was paradise. People called it paradise. They really thought it was kind of heaven of some kind. Uh, The streets were marbled and um, the gates, all the city gates had these specific strange blue colored bricks uh, and these huge gates. And then they had dragons and uh, lion's heads and stuff uh, that you'd see as you'd walk up to the gates of the city of Babylon. It was a massive double walled city one wall, it was a smaller wall, and then there was a moat where the Euphrates River came in and it was split around the city. And then that moat on the other side of the wall was another, well, of the river, the moat, was another wall. And that wall was gigantic. And it had all these towers uh, all the way around the city. And those towers were hundreds of feet up in the air. And the uh, you know soldiers of Babylon would stand guard looking for miles off in the distance and and, uh, you know, there was just uh, no way in people's minds that Babylon could ever fall to anyone. They thought this is the one. This is the city that will be the eternal city, the one that'll last because of our glorious walls and our strategy and tactics and our might and our power. But as soon as you say that, beware when you stand lest you fall. <laughs> Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And that was the problem with Babylon and the Babylonians. And we'll see in the book of Daniel more of a description of that because we get to kind of look on the inside a little bit of what was going on when Babylon actually falls to the Medes and the Persians. But the reason that's important for tonight is the last several chapters we've been going through, Jeremiah is kind of finishing his book with this notion of the fall of Babylon and the destruction of Babylon. We've seen the destruction of the nations and we saw the Moabites and the Ammonites and the Edomites and the Philistines and various people groups that the Lord said, I'm gonna destroy you and I'm gonna destroy you and you and you. All these nations that he says, I'm gonna destroy. Well, Babylon, they get several chapters of their description of their destruction. And it's because of their attitude. We learned last week, if you were with us, Um, The Bible kind of gave us a hint. The Lord used Babylon to judge these nations. And he used the the nation Babylon to judge the Jews. Um, So you think, well, then why is he gonna punish Babylon for judging the Jews? If they were the sword in God's hand, the Babylonians, why would God punish them? Well, we learned last week. Because when the Babylonians destroyed the Jews, they did it with great joy. And they loved seeing the Jews destroyed. And not only that, we learned last week, that the Babylonians, they didn't know they were doing God's service. Uh, In fact, they believed, and we'll see this tonight even, they believed that they were destroying the God of the Jews. In those days, they believed that whoever's God was the strongest, well, that's, that's who would win the war. And so when Bel and these other gods of Babylon would be worshiped by the Babylonians, they'd think, well, Bel must be greater than, you know, um, Jehovah, the God of the Jews. And we defeated Jehovah. That's the way they looked at it. But Jehovah is here speaking through the prophet Jeremiah saying, you think you destroyed the God of the Jews, but here I am and you're gonna be crushed. Uh, You were just a tool in my hand. And 
And uh, the Lord would use the Babylonians to, to sort of spank the Jews for their worshiping of other gods and sacrificing their children on altars and all kinds of evil and junk that they were doing. And now it comes time to hear this, you know, destruction of Babylon, the fall of Babylon. Now, <clears throat> one of the things we uh, did uh, last week is, you know, we started this discussion and, and it gets pretty, um, pretty detailed, but we started in chapter 50 and chapter 50, very long chapter, <clears throat> we began the discussion and then 51 is gonna continue. Also a very long, uh, fairly tedious chapter. Uh, we're gonna get through that tonight. Uh, but there are little spots here. I'm gonna stop us because there's some great little bits and pieces of stuff we can learn. So it says here in chapter 51, verse one, thus saith the Lord, behold, I will raise up against Babylon and against them that dwell in the midst of them that rise up against me, a destroying wind. And I will send unto Babylon fanners that shall fan her and empty her land. For in the day of trouble, they shall be against her round about. Against him that bendeth, let the archer bend his bow. And against him that lifted up in his um, uh, brigadine and spare ye not her young men, destroy ye utterly all her host. Thus the slain shall fall in the land of the Chaldeans and they that are thrust through in her streets. For Israel hath not been forsaken, nor Judah of his God, of the Lord of hosts, though their land was filled with sin against the Holy One of Israel, now here in verse five is kind of what we were just mentioning. The Lord has not forsaken Israel. That's what the Babylonians would think. They were forsaken and we beat them. Thus their God is dead. But really the Lord is speaking to Jeremiah. I'm alive and well, and I've not forsaken my people. And there is a remnant of Jews now, uh, small in number as they were, uh, there is a remnant of Jews surviving in Babylon in captivity. And they'll be there for 70 years. And then under the leadership of Ezra, Nehemiah, Zerubbabel, they'll, they'll go back and restore and rebuild Jerusalem after 70 years. But th that was gonna be, the, you know, the Jews were hanging by a thread in their existence right now in the part, this part of the Bible. But the Babylonians were gloating and the Lord says, you guys are gonna be fanned. What's this fanner thing? Verse two, and I will send unto Babylon fanners. Um, that's a word that we don't really know as much or use, but Maybe you would understand it um, if we talk about the, you know, when you take wheat and you throw it up in the air and, uh, and then, you know, the chaff is then blown away from the kernels of wheat and, you know, separating the wheat from the chaff. Well, that's what the fanners, that's by the word here in the original Hebrew, um, it's those who separated the wheat from the chaff. That was their job description. Um, and the, the Babylonians were used as fanners to separate God's people out uh, the faithful from the non-faithful. Um, but the Lord says, you know, here, you're the ones who are gonna receive the fanning. You're gonna be separated, the chaff from the wheat. Uh, and uh, it's gonna turn around on you. But Mark verse five, this is really important. It says, for Israel hath not been forsaken and God will never forsake his people. How do we know God will never forsake the Jews, God's chosen people? Um, well, it's because of his promise his eternal covenant that he had made with the Jews. And again, we've talked about the various covenants that God made with the Jews. Some of them are conditional covenants. Um, like example, 
uh, if the Lord had a promise to take care of the Jews, then why are they destroyed here by the Babylonians? The answer, he had a conditional covenant. If you follow my word, keep my commandments, statutes and judgments, I'll protect you from these other nations. But if you worship other gods and you forsake my commandments, statutes and judgments, I'm gonna lift my hand of protection and these other nations are gonna have a field day with you. And that's exactly what happened here. Those were one of those conditional covenants God made with his people. If you do this, then this is gonna happen. But there are unconditional covenants like the Abrahamic covenant where God says, I will never forsake you as my people. I will never, never totally destroy you and I will ultimately uh, cause you to prosper. And ultimately a king will reign in Jerusalem for eternity that's gonna be a Jew. And that Jew reigning in Jerusalem for eternity is? Jesus, that's right. So um, make sure when you hear people criticize the Jews and say God's done with them, uh, you know, there's churches that believe that there's a replacement theology that's out there, that the church has replaced the Jews. That's really dangerous teaching. Dangerous? Oh, the Pope believes in replacement theology. Uh, he doesn't believe God's chosen people are um, at all the Jews anymore. That's why the, the Vatican has a really wacko view of Israel today and the way they treat Israel. And, and you know, what's the first place the Pope went to this week uh, on his first uh, COVID trip or anti-COVID trip? He goes to Muslim countries. And there, um, you know, uh, he's trying to befriend and sort of this kind of ecumenical move that this Pope is making to sort of inclu be inclusive of all faiths. Oh, and by the way, um, you don't need to listen to my prophecy update because the Pope said the world's coming to an end. Did you hear that? He said, it's coming to end, it's the second great flood coming. Uh, and uh, he just said, it's coming soon. And he said, it's because of the sin of the people, the sin of climate change. <laughs> That's what he said. Yeah, the world's coming to end because of the sin of, of climate change. And um, that's his eschatology. Yeah. Not so brilliant. Yeah. I would just say he needs to dust off his Bible and uh, maybe read that for once. Uh, but but um, the Bible has a lot to say about the end of the world, but he's got it wrong there. But, but all that to say, um, God's chosen people, the Jews, any group that says God's done with the Jews then you better be shaken in your tennies if you're a Christian because if God forsook the Jews because they were bad behaviored, how much more should he forsake you? Or why wouldn't he forsake you? Uh, well, Brett, I'm pretty good, not compared to the Jews. Like the Jews were kind of our best foot forward. If you look at them historically as following God and keeping the law of the Old Testament, I mean, these, these people were reverent, but they did forsake the Lord and they had sin in their lives but good news for the church of Jesus Christ and good news for the Jews. He doesn't forsake his people, the Jews or the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, we are his people. You see, you can't do one without the other. For, for the, the church to say, we have replaced the Jews and the Jews have been cut off. Stupid? Why is that stupid? Do you remember Donald Duck? I liken the Pope to Donald Duck. I'll tell you why. Do you remember when Donald Duck got out a saw? I think he was trying to fight Chippendale, you know, the little chick, chipmunks uh, for some nuts in a tree or something. But Donald Duck starts cutting off the branch. And do you remember he's on the wrong side of the branch and he's cutting it off and then the branch falls, you know, and it's like not so bright, right? Well, what does the Bible say? The Bible says the church has been grafted into the tree of what? The Jews. We haven't cut down the Jews and say they're history and we're a new tree. No, the church has been grafted into the vine 
And so what is Christianity? Christianity doesn't replace Judaism. Christianity continues to fulfill God's plan for all the earth through Judaism. Do you understand that? We're not Jews, most of us in this room, uh, but we're Gentiles who've been grafted into the vine. And if you ungraft it, that, that branch, what happens to it? It dies. The church would die without the Jews. I think that um, it's such a short-sightedness to say God is done with the Jews. Um, now in Ephesians chapter two, if you read it, it says there's three people groups in the world. There's Jews, Gentiles, and then there's the church. That's what God's view is on that. And as it turns out, the church is made up of both Jews and Gentiles, anyone who will follow and believe the Messiah, Jesus. Uh, uh, and, um, and that's what is called the church. So it's, it's not that the church has replaced Israel, the church is a continuation of God's plan through Israel. That's important. I harp on that because most of the denominations out there still believe kind of a, a strange view of eschatology and the end times and God's plan for the Jews. And I say most, it's really tragic because most churches don't even know what their view is. Like, like because their pastors never talk about this stuff. Like if you ask your average Catholic and you talk about this with them, they'll say, what are you talking about? Um, but if you go to catholic.org and, and look up Catholic beliefs, which most, most of my Catholic buddies don't do, um, but when it comes to Israel, it's replacement theology. Israel's done, God's plan for the Jews are done, and uh, that explains a lot of why they do what they do politically and stuff like that. Well, be careful on that, that's a dangerous teaching. Well, I love it that the Lord says, I will not forsake Israel, and that should cause you as a Gentile or if you're a Jew, um, great comfort that the Lord does not forsake his people. And, and, and I would put an asterisk there, uh, no matter what you've done, no matter how sinful you've been, the Lord is able to save even to the uttermost, the furthest out there. And the Lord, once you're saved, man, once the Lord has died on the cross for your sins and you've accepted that work of the cross, you and I can apply this, the Lord has not forsaken us either. Um, and you know, the scriptures declare, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's the Lord that we serve. I love that about our, our father. Um, so the Jews are hanging by a thread, but the Lord has not forsaken them in this story. And then verse six, flee out of the midst of Babylon and deliver every man his soul. Be not cut off in her iniquity, for this is the time of the Lord's vengeance. He will render unto her a recompense. Um, why does the Lord say flee out of the midst of Babylon? The answer? The Lord, even though he took them as punishment to Babylon for 70 years of captivity, one of the things we're gonna hear is they were to rehearse in the ears of their children, don't stay in Babylon, don't become a Babylonian. You've got to run for your life from this place. The first moment we get a chance. Um, see, that was the thing. The Babylonians wanted to get the Jews kind of comfortable there and assimilate into their culture. And then after 50, 60 years, there'd be no threat. The Jews would love it. Why would we move from paradise, Babylon, back to the pile of rubble in Jerusalem? You know what's interesting about this, um, this story uh, that we're reading, and maybe you remember when we were you know, reading Ezra and Nehemiah and those books, but according to Ezra chapter two, only 49,897 people returned from Babylon. You say, well, Brett, that's about how many people went to Babylon. Yes, but after 70 years, um, there were hundreds of thousands of Jews because of, you know, they had children and children's children within those 70 years. And there were really hundreds of thousands of them by that time. And the sad thing is, is most of them 
stayed in Babylon and never to be heard of again um, as Jews. It would be almost the same amount of people that were taken into captivity would come back. Ezra said 49,897. You say, bro, what does that have to do with me? I don't care about Babylon and Jews exile for 70 years. Well, here's the thing. There's a, there's a picture for you and me to not get too comfy in this world. You know, the Jews that, that, that were there in Babylon, they started to get pretty comfortable. And I love it that Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, these were guys that didn't bow down to Babylon. Remember when uh, Nebi put up his statue of gold and said, everybody, when the music plays, bow down and worship. And, uh, you know, and, and so Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego didn't bow down. They were not gonna bow down to the images of Babylon. We're gonna heat this furnace seven times hotter if you don't do it. We're gonna try it one more time, okay? Strike up the music. And they did it again. I remember one of my favorite album covers I'd sit and look at when I was a little kid. See, we used to have these things called records. Um, <laughs> and you could look at the album work, artwork, because it was big. Uh, um, it wasn't a little digital picture on your iPhone. But, but I remember Keith Green's record cover of No Compromise, that record, you know, and, and there's this a bunch of people, you know, thousands of people bowing down to this golden statue, but this one little humble Jew is standing there and he won't bow down. And this Babylonian on this huge fierce horse comes riding up and he's muscles and he's furiously, ah! you know, and this, this humble Jew is just standing there and he's not gonna bow down. It's just, I remember as a kid that just left an impression on me as no compromise. That's what it means. Not to give in to the world, not to become like the world. And, um, and I feel like that, that as parents, mom and dad, you have a job to do like these captivity Jews had to do. They had to say, Junior, we're living in Babylon, but you are not a Babylonian. Remember Jerusalem. We're gonna see that later. They're gonna say, rehearse in their ears about how we're gonna go back to Jerusalem one day and rebuild our city. And don't let your kids get too comfy here in this world. You know, the scriptures tell us, you know, and Paul the apostle had a lot to say about not setting your affections on things of this earth, but on things above. And, and there's this notion uh, where we as Christians try to be comfortable in this world, but I think that might be a, a, a perhaps a, a mistake for us to try to be really comfortable and fit in as much. Um, I even see that this tendency for churches and church behavior where we, let's try to be relevant to this world and, you know, hip and cool. The problem with Christians trying to be hip and cool, we're usually about three or four years behind the curve on that. Like we do the, that which was hip and cool three or four years earlier, but then it looks really dumb four years later. <laughs> I remember about 10 years after Hootie and the Blowfish were famous. We were living in Sherwood at the time. Deb and I and the kids, and, and I got a thing on my doorknob. There was a church uh, that stuck a little thing on doorknobs saying, come to our church. And I, you know, as a pastor, these things entertain me. I grabbed the little thing and what does this say? And I said, come to our church. Our church is relevant and, and, uh, and we, our, our worship team sounds like Hootie and the Blowfish. <laughs> and I was like, oh, how painful. Uh, <laughs> like that's too bad. Um, <laughs> they, were trying, they were trying to be something, you know, that was hip and cool or so they thought, but Hootie was popular. Well, you know, we just get kind of weird sometimes as Christians. Come ye out from among them and be ye separate. That's what the Bible says. Be different. You're strangers, pilgrims, sojourners in a strange land. Don't get too comfy in this world. And in the same way that the Jews had to kind of get it in their minds, we're not gonna become Babylonians while we're living here. Um, that, was, that was hard, and a lot of them actually would be assimilated, sad to say, 
into the Babylonian culture. Well, that's verse six, and we'll see more of that even tonight. Flee out of the midst of Babylon, deliver every man his soul. Well, verse seven, Babylon hath been a golden cup in the Lord's hand that made all the earth drunken. The nations have drunken of her wine, therefore the nations are mad. Babylon is suddenly fallen and destroyed. Howl for her, take balm for her pain. If so, she may be healed. We would have healed Babylon, but she is not healed, forsake her. And let us go everyone into his own country for her judgment reacheth unto heaven and is lifted up even to the skies. The Lord hath brought forth our righteousness. Come and let us declare in Zion, that's Jerusalem, uh, the work of the Lord our God. Make bright the arrows, gather the shields. The Lord hath raised up the spirit of the kings of the Medes for his device is against Babylon to destroy it because it is the vengeance of the Lord, the vengeance of his temple set in the standard upon the walls of Babylon. Make the watch strong, set up the watchmen, prepare the ambushes for the Lord hath both delivered and done that which he hath spaken, uh, spake against the inhabitants of Babylon. Now there's one thing here that's kind of cool. And this is where it's amazing to me how the Bible critics love verses like this because they say, see the book of Jeremiah is a forgery. And they just assume that, why? Because Jeremiah says something here that nobody could have known at the time when Jeremiah wrote this. We know Jeremiah wrote this somewhere before 586 BC. He wrote this, verse 11, um, raise up the spirit of the kings of the Medes for his device is against Babylon to destroy it. And if you know your history, what happened? Well, after Nebuchadnezzar, then you know, Nabonidus, and after Nabonidus came Bel Belshazzar, and it was during the time of Belshazzar, quite a few years later, before the Medes and the Persians were really a big threat. Nobody even cared about the Medes and the Persians when Jeremiah wrote this, but he basically said, but the Medes are gonna come, so shine up their armor, sharpen up their arrows, because uh, they're gonna come, and the, it's gonna be the Medes who are gonna come and wipe out uh, Babylon. How did Jeremiah know that, the answer? The Lord told him, that's the Bible. The Bible's inspired. When a person like Jeremiah wrote the words, God was saying, the Medes. I wonder if Jeremiah said, the Medes? <laughs> like, Lord, really? I mean, that'd be like, you know, here's the United States, you know, we're one of the greatest powers in the world. But that'd be like saying suddenly, um, the United States, me coming out with a prophecy, I have a word for the Lord. And you'd say, what, what, what's that? Jamaica is gonna attack the United States and they're gonna destroy us. And they're gonna make us be servants and we're gonna be all saying, uh, no problem, man, or whatever. You know, like, uh, it'll be a whole nother deal. You'd say, Brett, that's whacked to say that, you know, Jamaica's gonna attack the United States. It's similar. The Medes and the Persians were not really much of a thing yet. They were growing during this time and they would grow to be this massive army eventually and they would take over Babylon. Uh, Jeremiah is gonna even give us a little bit of a hint as to how they're gonna do it. This is because it's prophecy. So the secularist, the anti-Bible atheist type will say, well, this must be a forgery then. The book of Jeremiah has to be a forgery because there's no way Jeremiah could have known that. Well, that's your opinion, but my opinion is God told Jeremiah these things and that's why we know it's true. Now, um, this, you can't really do what I'm about to explain with this, but you can with a lot of other things. L let me explain. 
For example, the book that the, script, the critics hate the most is the book of Daniel. And the reason why is Daniel was writing his book somewhere around the time of Jeremiah, not that much later than Jeremiah. And, and so Jeremiah made all kinds of prophecies that were crazy. He said that the Medes and the Persians were gonna come, and then after the Medes and the Persians will come the, the, the Greeks with Alexander the Great, and even talked about Alexander the Great, not by name, but by there's gonna be a strong, authoritative man who will come and lead, uh, and he'll have the four generals, you know, Alexander will come. And after Alexander will come another empire, the, the, the Rome, the legs, uh, you know, of iron, and, the, and, you know, and then the, you know, the last uh, nations of the world. Like Daniel told how it was all gonna, so, you know, ancient people even said that this was a forgery. Porphyry was an ancient historian who said, book of Daniel had to been written, written in 90 AD. Because that's what you have to date Daniel as because he wrote so much stuff with so much clarity, they're saying it has to have been written in 90 AD, like after Jesus even. But the reason I love it when they say that, I mean, you college students, just savor the moment if your prof starts saying, the book of Daniel is a forgery because there's no way he could have known what was coming. So it had to have been written in 98. Man, you've got them, college students. Don't let your profs just sit there and say, Book of Daniel's a forgery, like my profs did in my college of that godly institution, Southern Oregon State University. <clears throat> Mini Berkeley is really what it was. But, um, but if they say that, you've got them because guess what? The, every numbskull knows that the Old Testament was tran translated into the Greek. The Hebrew Bible, you know, the whole Old Testament was translated into Greek in like 270 BC. And that's not even arguable. Like nobody's arguing that one because it's so provable. And what book is included in the Septuagint? The book of Daniel. <laughs> so, so at least you can't say that it was at 90. You have to go all the way back to 270 because it was included there and nobody even debates that. Um, and what's so great is some of those prophecies that Daniel spoke of, many of them would come after the 270 date. Um, and it proves that Daniel knew stuff that nobody else knew. Why? Because the Lord was giving him his word. So watch out. These guys will try to take a, a scripture like this. Well, Jeremiah is a forgery because he said the Medes. And they, they hadn't even formed a, a strong army yet. No big deal. This is God who the Bible says God is the only one who knows the beginning from the end. He knows the end of the story and the beginning of the story. Um, God's perspective, it, you know, we look at this world like we're sitting at the Rose Parade, like we used to when we went out in people groups and actually saw things and people. <laughs> but when we'd see the Rose Parade, you'd see things go by. There's the, you know, uh, Tualatin High School marching band. There's the, the, you know, float and the parade and the roses and all that. And it would go by and you see it linearly. But if you get up in the coin chopper, chopper and you look and you see from the beginning burden side to whatever, you know, you see the whole parade, the whole enchilada, that's God's view. God sees the whole thing, the beginning from the end. And, and that's how he, in his Bible, tells us prophetic events. Makes the Bible separate from all other books, all other religious writings. The Bible is far superior just because of its prophecy. That's just one, one thing. Well, so this is all Jeremiah, and we'll, we'll see a few more things uh, that he'll predict as well. Verse 13, O thou that dwellest upon many waters, abundant in treasures, thine end is come, and the measure of thy covetousness. Um, the reason why Babylon's called the ones that dwell in many waters is because it's got the whole Euphrates River uh, to water the city. 
So the, the Babylonians were under the impression that if they were besieged by another nation, they could live in the walls of Babylon comfortably without even feeling a moment of stress for 20 years. So if you were gonna besiege Babylon, you had to be in for the long haul. Good luck with that. 20 years. Um, so they said, we have enough water, but the Lord says, it's not gonna work. Verse 14, the Lord of hosts hath sworn by himself saying, surely I will fill thee with men as with caterpillars and they shall lift up a shout against thee. He hath made the earth by his power. He hath established the world by his wisdom and hath stretched out the heaven by his understanding. Boy, that's something to meditate on. Um, and uh, it is interesting because some of the scientific brains that are also Christians, they see language here that I don't, honestly, in, especially when you look at the Hebrew text about the way God created the heavens and the earth. And there's uh, mysterious ways of putting things about how God created stuff. So for you guys with minds that think like that, you might do a little word study in this little section about uh, like this when it says that the Lord stretched out the heaven by his understanding. There's some, there's some kind of mysterious things about creation there that might just be tucked into this passage. Verse 16, when he uttereth his voice, there is a multitude of waters in the heavens and he causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth and he maketh lightnings with rain and bringeth forth the wind out of his treasures. Every man is brutish by his knowledge. Every founder is confounded by the graven image for his molten image is falsehood. And there's no breath in them. They are vanity, the work of errors. In the time of their visitation, they shall perish. The portion of Jacob is not like them for he is the former of all things and Israel is the rod of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name or Jehovah is the word there. The Lord Jehovah of hosts is his name. So it's saying the Lord stretched out the heavens and the earth. That's what sets him apart from all the other fake gods of the Babylonians. They did nothing. And the person who makes them is stupid. Brett, you're not supposed to call people stupid. <laughs> the Bible calls people stupid, so I call people stupid. Uh, the King James, the King James says it right here. Verse 17, if you look it up, it says, every man is brutish by his knowledge or, you know, in, in, thinking he's smart, but he's actually brutish. Brutish is a nice way of saying stupid. If you look up the word brutish in the Hebrew dictionary, it says stupid. Like seriously, get your dictionary out and it's pretty funny. So the Bible calls people brutish all the time. There is such thing as a stupid person. And as it turns out, there is such things as stupid questions. Uh, so be careful about that. Uh, but anyway, it says the person that, that thinks that he's really smart oftentimes is a brutish or stupid man. Do we see stupidity today? <laughs> People that think they're so smart, man, you know, um, <clears throat> they killed Mr. Potato Head and Dr. Seuss all in one week <laughs> because they're so smart and they know things. What do they know? I don't, I think they're brutish. It's really funny to watch what people get all up in a tizzy about these days. But it, there's a lot of stupidity going around. Um, and man, we call it wise. You know, the Bible in the last days talks about how we'll call good evil and evil good, you know? It's amazing to me what we're doing today. Well, all that to say, um, the portion of Jacob, which is God, He's gonna still be there while those other gods are gonna be gone. The Lord of hosts is his name. And this is just God telling through Jeremiah, 
Your gods of Babylon are gonna fail you because they're stupid. And the people that make them are stupid. But you can't say that. Remember, the psalmist said, those who make them are like them. Uh, and the brutish man is the one who makes the idol and follows after idols. Now, before we're too hard on the Babylonians saying, yeah, they're a bunch of stupid people. Do we have idols today? Well, the answer is yes. Brother, are you talking about like when I like to watch American idolatry? I mean, American Idol. I mean, that's such a great show. It's my favorite show. Hey, listen, it's funny because we, we do make idols and I, I don't have a problem with that show, but I do have a problem. We have our own versions of idols, don't we? And, and here's the thing that's most dangerous. It's not that we call them certain names, but there, there are um, spiritual sinful things associated with each idol. For example, um, you know, Ashtoreth was associated with fertility and sexuality. And so people that worship sexuality in our culture and are you know, really into that, which is so much of our culture, we, we've fallen for the goddess Ashtoreth. Who's behind Ashtoreth? But Brett, you said those idols are nothing. They can't speak or hear or do anything. That's true. But what's behind those idols? Um, demonic entities. I believe Satan is alive and well, wanting to sort of lure people with the goddess of Ashtoreth, just like they did in those days. Or Baal was a god of prosperity. We have the same thing. We want, we're, we're materialists and we, we tend to be greedy and we worship at the altar of Baal. We just don't call it that. It's the same notion. So is God gonna judge these gods? That's the question I have for you tonight. But if they're nothing and they're just wood or stone or gold or silver gods, will God judge them? The answer? We'll see. It's coming tonight. Um, so verse 20, thou art my battle axe and weapons of war for with thee will I break in pieces the nations and with thee will I destroy kingdoms. This was, you know, um, the Babylonians. God used them as his own weapon. And with thee will I break in pieces the horse and his rider. And with thee will I break in pieces the chariot and his rider. With thee also will I break in pieces man and woman. And with thee will I break in pieces old and young. And with thee I will break in pieces the young man and the maid. I will also break in pieces with thee the shepherd and his flock. And with thee I will break in pieces the husbandman and his yoke of oxen. And with thee will I break in pieces the captains and the rulers. And I will render unto Babylon and to all the inhabitants of the Chaldea uh, and all their evil that they have done in Zion, in your sight, saith the Lord. Behold, I'm against thee, O destroying mountain, saith the Lord, which destroys all the earth. And I will stretch out mine hand upon thee and roll thee down from the rocks, and I will make thee a burnt mountain. And they shall not take of the, thee a stone for a corner, nor a stone for foundations, but thou shalt be desolate forever, saith the Lord. Interesting, you know, Paul would use this stone, cornerstone, to talk about Jesus, as well as big parts of the Old Testament, that Jesus is the cornerstone that is enduring and lasting. But in Babylon, the city that they thought was built by stones that would never fall apart, the Lord says, yeah, you're going down and you're gonna be crushed. Um, uh, interesting that they would be desolate because Babylon today is desolate. If you go there today, it's just really not that big a deal. Like I told you a few weeks ago, Nebuchadnezzar of the modern day was Saddam Hussein. He, he called himself Nebuchadnezzar. And he was gonna rebuild Babylon. That was his goal before he got strung up. 
Uh, interesting story there with old Saddam Hussein. He really thought himself of the new Babylon and the same symbols of ancient Babylon, the lion and all that stuff. It was all part of his rebuilding. And we have soldiers in our church uh, that were part of the uh, army that went in or the, the military that went in to when, during the Iraq war to uh, go and subdue ancient Babylon. We have uh, Athe Creekers who've walked through Saddam Hussein's palaces that he was building uh, to, and they just sit there empty and desolate really for the most part. Um, and that's the way it's gonna sit. The big question is, and man, we don't have time for this tonight, because it says it'll be desolate forever, saith the Lord. But in the last days, there's gonna be a rebuilding of Babylon, the Bible says. Um, and it's gonna be a mighty Babylon. And in the book of Revelation, remember how it says, oh, Babylon, Babylon, you know, you'll fall in, in just a half a, a day. Like it's just gonna, it's gonna fall. The question is, is the, the ancient Babylon gonna be rebuilt in the last days, or is it, is it talking about more of a spiritual Babylon? Uh, because we know there's a religious Babylon, there's an economic Babylon in the end times, and God will, refers to it that way. Um, and so we have some work to do, and we'll, we'll talk more about that and what, we, uh, what the possibilities are when, when we get to Daniel. We're getting there uh, in, in a few weeks. Or you can go listen to our teachings in the book of Daniel or Revelation. We talk about Babylon and all that. Well. Verse 27, set ye up a standard in the land. Blow the trumpet among the nations, prepare the nations against her. Call together against her the kingdoms of Erat, Minai, and Achinez. Appoint a captain against her. Cause the horses to come up as the rough caterpillars. Um, now, by the way, the caterpillars, we've talked about a few times, you're like, not the caterpillars. They're so scary. Some of your translations and some scholars believe this better translates as locust. Have you guys been following the news on the locusts in the Middle East this week? It's crazy. They're saying this could be some of the worst of, in the world's history, uh, the plague of locusts that's hitting the Middle East right now, as we speak. Kind of interesting, kind of end times-ish. Maybe we'll talk about that on Friday night at the Prophecy Update. Uh, but that's probably what we're talking about. The you know, we, we don't fathom uh, what a, a locust can do. But if you study locusts, they're basically grasshoppers that for whatever reason, and, and science is not completely sure about how this all works out. You might say, where do these locusts come from? And how does this happen? A swarm all of a sudden so big, it's bigger than a whole country. Um, and how do they destroy suddenly? And then where do they go? It has to do with these normal grasshoppers that for some reason go through a season of abnormalcy where they grow and they have a whole different personality. They're normally sweet little grasshoppers. Kids could go and stick on a hook and catch a trout, like I did when I was a kid. But uh, what happens is they sort of change, they metamorphosize for a season and they become super aggressive and super hungry and they grow really huge and they usually last for a short season. Then those big ones kind of die off and they get back to more of their normal size. And it's this really strange process. But um, isn't it interesting, the Lord used locusts in ancient times, plagues of locusts to judge nations. Um, it kind of cracks me up, you know, when you think about it, uh, as much as, you know, a plague of locusts eats everything that's green or edible, so that people die of starvation. What happens after a plague of locusts is people die in famine, because the locusts ate everything. But isn't it amazing the Lord can use a little bug to destroy a nation? 
I mean, Egypt was the most powerful nation in the world at the time that the Jews were there enslaved. And isn't it an amazing story that the Lord used some bugs to destroy a nation? Who's gonna deliver you out of my hand? Yul Brynner said, and Pharaoh. And the, the, Moses said, the Lord will show you his hand here in just a minute. All of a sudden, ribbit, frogs covering the land. Oh, the land stinks. Please get rid of these frogs. Okay, uh, never mind. We want our slaves, forget it. The frogs are gone, whatever. Okay, here's some flies, Ooh, bugs. And the Lord bugged Pharaoh and he bugged him and he bugged him. <laughs> Lice and flies and, until he finally got his people free. The Lord could use a little bug to destroy a powerful nation. Do you ever feel like um, humanity, we think we're pretty great up until there's an ice storm and we don't have internet anymore? <laughs> what are we gonna do? We don't have internet and power. Uh, we become pretty feeble, pretty quick without our power. Um, and uh, we think we're so great, but I think those little moments of ice storms like we had a couple weeks ago, <coughs> just remind us that we could be toast so fast and it could be some natural event. Like, it, it was such a weird thing. I remember on the ice storm that we had, and those of you guys that don't live here in Oregon or watching online, it was a weird deal. I mean, we've seen ice storms before, but this one just lasted, and I remember stepping outside the door at midnight, just, and we live out in kind of the country, out by Aurora, and I remember just listening about midnight, and you could just hear the silence broken every three or five seconds. Off in the woods in the distance, you hear this and then, now if you drive down the roads here, it looks like we went through World War III here in the Portland area, like trees laying all over the roads and, and they're still cleaning up. 205 was jammed up today because they were trying to get trees still pulled off the highways and stuff. Like it's, it was an amazing thing. And just a quiet little ice storm. Things were just kind of chilly and it rained a little bit. And, and the weight of that ice on those branches and trees. I saw trees that were six feet in diameter just split right down the middle. I mean, it's amazing the power that the Lord could just say, oh, let's use a few raindrops that kind of freeze and build up to where that weighs 10,000 pounds worth of ice and crushes everything. Um, we were driving out to Estacada and we saw a house with a, just a crushed roof, a tree went right through. Like, it's amazing the, the damage and destruction. Um, so remember this, you know, when we start putting our trust in all of our wealth and our power and our roof over our heads, and uh, we were talking the other day about the book of Revelation. I'm way off course. Uh, <laughs> I still have a lot of verses. Um, we were talking about in the book of Revelation uh, how it says there's gonna be 100 pound hailstones that will fall and hit this planet. Do you think your roof's gonna help you on that one? Picture this a 90 pound bag of cement being dropped from 10,000 feet falling on your house. How, how's your house gonna do with that? Um, fortunately, if you're a Christian, we're not gonna be here for that. Uh, that's, we're gonna be taken up to be with the Lord in the rapture of the church. But again, I uh, am way off course. <laughs> so uh, we got this caterpillar uh, issue. <laughs> Where, where did I leave off? 28, oh man, we gotta hurry. Okay, here we go. Verse 28, prepare against her the nations with the kings of the Medes 
the captains thereof, and all the rulers thereof, and all the land of his dominion. And the land shall tremble and sorrow for every purpose of the Lord shall be performed against Babylon to make the land of Babylon a desolation without an inhabitant. The mighty men of Babylon have forborne to fight. They have remained in their holds. Their might hath failed. They became as women and have, sorry, ladies. And um, I know this is very not politically correct. Uh, the men became like women in her dwelling places. Her bars are broken. Um, the bars broken. Uh, um, do you guys remember how the Medes and the Persians led by uh, Darius and Cyrus, how did they get into Babylon, the impenetrable city? Anybody remember? Right, they dried up the Euphrates River and then they broke the bars uh, that were the grate that was the water that went into the city. They just broke those up and went in on dry ground and took over the city that way while Belshazzar was partying there with the handwriting on the wall. It's an amazing story. So again, prediction by Jeremiah years before it would happen. <clears throat> Verse 31. One post <clears throat> shall run to meet another, <clears throat> excuse me, and one messenger to meet another to show the king of Babylon that his city is taken at one end and that the passengers are stopped and the reeds they have burned with fire and the men of war are frightened. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, the daughter of Babylon is like a threshing floor. It is time to thresh her yet a little while and the time of her harvest shall come. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, hath devoured me, hath crushed me. He hath made me an empty vessel. He hath swallowed me up like a dragon. He hath filled his belly with my delicacy, uh, you know, delicates, and hath cast me out. The violence done to me and to my flesh be upon Babylon. Shall the inhabitant of Zion say, and my blood upon the inhabitants of Chaldea, shall Jerusalem say? Um, Therefore, thus saith the Lord, behold, I will plead thy cause, and take vengeance for thee. And I will dry up her sea and make her springs dry. That's exactly what happened. The Medes and the Persians dried up the Euphrates River two miles upriver from Babylon. Verse 37, and Babylon shall become heaps, a dwelling place for dragons and astonishment and a hissing without an inhabitant. They shall roar together like lions. They shall yell as lions whelps. In their heat will I make their feasts and I will make them drunken that they may rejoice and sleep a perpetual sleep and not awake, saith the Lord. They're gonna drink till they're drunk and then they're gonna die. What happened to Belshazzar? He got drunk, remember when he got drunk that night? Uh, that's what happened. This is all very specific. Um, verse 40, I will bring them down like lambs to the slaughter, like rams with he goats. How is Shishak taken? And how is the people, uh, how is the praise of the whole earth surprised? How is Babylon become an astonishment among the nations? The sea has come up upon Babylon. She is covered with the multitude of the waves thereof. Her cities are a desolation, a dry land, and a wilderness, a land wherein no man dwelleth, neither doth any son of man pass thereby. And I will punish Bel in Babylon, and I will bring forth out of his mouth that which he hath swallowed up, and the nation shall not flow together any more unto him. Yea, the wall of Babylon shall fall. So there's the answer to the question. Will God punish the gods of Babylon, even though they're just rocks and stones? Remember, there's demonic entities behind them. So it says here, and I will punish Bel. That's the God of Babylon. And the Lord says, I'm gonna punish that God. And he's gonna go down to be remembered no more. 
Verse 45, my people, go ye out of the midst of her. There it again, get out of Babylon when you can and deliver ye every man his soul from the fierce anger of the Lord. And lest your heart faint and ye fear for the rumor that shall be heard in the land, a rumor shall both come one year and after that in another year shall come a rumor and, a, and violence in the land, ruler against ruler. Therefore behold the days that come that I will do judgment upon the graven images of Babylon and her whole land shall be confounded and all her slain shall fall in the midst of her and the heaven and the earth and all that is therein shall sing for Babylon for the spoilers shall come for her from the north, saith the Lord. As Babylon hath caused the slain of Israel to fall, so at Babylon shall fall the slain of all the earth. Ye that have escaped the sword, go away, stand not still. Remember the Lord afar off and let Jerusalem come into your mind. We are confounded because we have heard reproach, shame hath covered our faces. For strangers are come into the sanctuaries of the Lord's house. Wherefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will do judgment upon her graven images, and though, um, pardon me, through all her land and wounded shall be, uh, the wounded shall groan. So again, reminder to the Jews, don't forget J Jerusalem. Um, let Jerusalem come into your mind. It says here in verse 50. Uh, this is the word to, for Jeremiah to these people that are in captivity. Now, verse 53, though Babylon should mount up to heaven and though she should fortify the height of her strength, yet from me shall spoilers come into her, saith the Lord. A sound of a cry cometh from Babylon and great destruction from the land of Chaldeans because the Lord hath spoiled Babylon and destroyed out of her the great voice. When her waves do roar like great waters, a noise of their voice is uttered because the spoilers come upon her, even upon Babylon, and her mighty men are taken, every one of their bows is broken for the Lord, of, the Lord God the, uh, of recompenses shall surely requite. And I will make her drunk princes. Um, I will make drunk her princes and her wise men, her captains and her rulers and her mighty men and they shall sleep a perpetual sleep. It's a nice way of saying dead. Um, and not wake, saith the king, whose name is the Lord of hosts. Um, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the broad walls of Babylon shall be utterly broken. Her high gates shall be burned with fire and the people shall labor in vain and the folk in the fire, they shall be weary. The word which Jeremiah the prophet commanded, Sariah, the son of Neriah, the son of Messiah, and he went with Zedekiah and the king of Judah into Babylon in the fourth year of his reign. And this Sariah was a quiet prince. So Jeremiah wrote in a book, um, so Jeremiah wrote in a book all the evil that should come upon Babylon, even all these words that are written um, against Babylon. And Jeremiah said to Sariah, when thou comest to Babylon and shalt see and shalt read all these words, then shalt thou say, O Lord, thou hast spoken against this place to cut it off, that none shall remain in it, neither man nor beast, but it shall be desolate forever. And it shall be when thou hast made an end of reading this book that thou shalt bind a stone to it and cast it in the midst of the Euphrates. And thou shalt say, thus shalt Babylon sink and shall not rise from the evil and I will bring upon, uh, that I will bring upon her and they shall be weary. Thus far are the words of Jeremiah. Now right here seems like a great place to end the book, the end. 
Now, here's the thing that we see is we see, I hope you're getting the picture. The picture is this amazing king of all kings, Lord of all lords saying, Babylon's toast. And the world, um, the world would have said, okay, uh, that's not gonna happen. Babylon's amazing. But God's saying, just watch. And when all this comes to pass, this dude, Sarai or whatever his name is, verse 59, who was taken in captivity with Zedekiah, he's gonna read the words that he's gonna take it and throw it in the river and say, that's what's gonna happen to Babylon as you see this sink in the river, the end, your toast, the mighty Lord of Lords. Now, let me just say a couple things. One, uh, this is all about Babylon during the time of Jeremiah, but some might say, you can glean some interesting things about the destruction and the fall of Babylon as it's written in the book of Revelation in the future. And there's some interesting cor uh, correlations. And we'll go over those uh, in a future date uh, because it'll make more sense uh, and what have you. Um, now, uh, what was the scripture? I, I, I missed last week's scripture. It was fifth, chapter 50. Turn back a page or two. I've got a few verses I left out accidentally. But it's more destruction of Babylon. Are you excited about this? Chapter 50, go back there, verses 35 uh, to the end. We left that out because I ran out of time last week. So uh, let's, let's go ahead and finish that up, verse 35, and then we'll finish up the last chapter. Don't worry, it won't take long. We already covered a huge part of last, uh, the last chapter. But in verse 35 of chapter 50, it says, a sword upon the Chaldeans, saith the Lord, and upon the inhabitants of Babylon, and her princes, and upon her wise men. Uh, by the way, the Chaldeans was, was a sect of the Babylonians, but they're often associated with the wise ones of Babylon. Um, so remember when Nebuchadnezzar called the Chaldeans and the soothsayers, the magicians and all that, the Chaldeans were always numbered among the wise ones. Um, but they're also going down. Verse 36, a sword upon the liars, they shall dote. The, a sword is upon her mighty men and they shall be dismayed. A sword is on their horses and upon their chariots and upon the mingled people. Um, that are in the midst of her and they shall become as women. A sword is upon her treasures and they shall be robbed. Um, this is basically a polyethnic group, but the Babylonians, they were as close to a, um, the, the melting pot as the United States was, not as much, but close. Uh, the United States is a melting pot of a bunch of different people groups from all over the world because we all came here. But in Babylon, they destroyed everybody and they, they saved some of the people and mixed them all up. That's this mixed mingled people. Verse 38, a drought is upon her waters. They shall be dried up for it is the land of graven images and uh, they are mad upon their idols. They're crazy upon their idols. Verse nine, therefore the wild beasts of the desert with the wild beasts of the islands shall dwell there and the owls shall dwell therein and it shall no more be inhabited forever. Neither shall it be dwelt in from generation to generation. As God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, the neighbor cities thereof, saith the Lord, so shall no man abide there, neither shall any son dwell uh, of man dwell therein. Behold, a people shall come from the north, a great nation, and many kings shall be raised up from the coasts of the earth, and they shall hold the bow and lance. They are cruel and will not show mercy. Their voice shall roar like the sea, they shall ride upon horses, everyone put in array like man to the battle against thee, O daughter of Babylon. The king of Babylon hath heard the report of them and his hands waxed feeble, anguish took hold of him and pangs as a woman in travail. Behold, he shall come up like a lion from the swelling of Jordan unto the habitation of the strong, but I will make them suddenly run away from her. And who is a chosen man that I may appoint over her? For who is like me? And who will appoint me the time? 
And who is that shepherd that will stand before me? Therefore, hear ye the counsel of the Lord that he that hath taken against Babylon and his purposes, and he purposed against the land of Chaldeans, surely the least of the flock shall draw them out. Surely he shall make their habitation desolate with them as at the noise of the taking of Babylon, the earth is moved and the cry is heard among the nations. Why would the Lord spend so much time? Uh, Chapter 50, 51, these hugely long chapters, you're saying, yeah, they're long and brutal. Uh, Why would the Lord spend so much time talking about Babylon? He only gave little sections to Moab, Ammon, and all these. The reason why is Babylon stands for something more than just any old city. And it goes all the way back to the book of Genesis at the Tower of Babel, where Babylon started. And uh, if you remember, the reason the Lord scattered the people and the nations at that time was because that was gonna be man's effort to pretty much replace God. Um, You know, they were gonna pretty much build this tower, this ziggurat or whatever, that would reach to the heavens and they would, uh, it had very pagan uh, and and, and uh, was linked to the god Marduk, by the way, of Babylon. Um, but isn't it interesting that Babylon, from all the way back in the book of Genesis, <clears throat> all the way to the book of Revelation, it's always talked about. <clears throat> and you and I don't think much about Babylon today because it sits there over in Iraq and nobody cares about it right now. <clears throat> but spiritually, it started in Genesis, it's gonna end in, in the book of Revelation. And a lot of this destruction that's mentioned here is sort of foretelling kind of the end of humanity and humanity's wisdom. So there's much here. When we read about the fall and destruction of Babylon, you can also sort of realize that that's synonymous with the destruction of humanity in general. But the Lord's gonna take his people out of Babylon, just like he's gonna take us out of this world, and he's gonna save us from the destruction of Babylon. So um, the bad news is Babylon's going down. The good news is we're not part of that group. So... Heavy chapters. Let's finish up chapter 52 um, quickly. Um, Now, like I said, the end of chapter 51 looks like it was gonna be over. Um, But now we have this appendix, as many scholars call it. And the funny thing is, almost word for word, you're gonna recognize the wording of this. We've already read much of this chapter in parts of Jeremiah and parts of Chronicles and 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles. Uh, even in Jeremiah 39, Jeremiah 52, they all kind of correlate, uh, correlate with each other and some of them word for word. Why are they here at the end? I, I believe it's inspired by God to remind us of what happened to these people. Zedekiah first. Um, if you're jotting down notes, we see number one, the, the king dethroned. The king dethroned. Zedekiah was one and 20 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamutal. Uh, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna, that different Jeremiah, by the way. And he did that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that Jehoiakim had done. For though the anger, pardon me, through the anger of the the Lord, it came to pass in Jerusalem and Judah till he had cast them out from his presence that Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon, um, against Jeremiah the prophet's counsel, if you recall. And verse four, it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, 10th month, 10th day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came, he and all his army against Jerusalem and pitched against it and built forts against and round about it. The dating here and this, you know, all this stuff about the uh, 10th month and the 10th day of the month, why is it so detailed? Four times the Bible gives us this very day on the calendar because 
It's the destruction of Babylon, or pardon me, Jerusalem. It's a big deal according to the Lord. So verse five, the city was besieged in the 11th year of King Zedekiah. And in the fourth month and the ninth day of the month, the famine was sore in the city so that there was no bread for the people to the land. Um, then the city was broken up and all the men of war fled and went forth out of the city by night by the way of the gate between the two walls, which was by the king's garden. Now the Chaldeans were by the city round about and they went by the way of the plain. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued after the king and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho and all his army was scattered from him. They took the king and carried him up to the king of Babylon to Rib Riblah in the land of Hamath, where he gave judgment upon him. And the king of Babylon slew the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. He slew all the princes of Judah in Riblah. Then he put out the eyes of Zedekiah, the king of Babylon, bound him with chains and carried him into Babylon, put him in prison until the day of his death. Does that sound familiar? Did we read that already? Yes. Uh, it's several times it's, it's written in the Bible about this. Um, the blinding of the eyes is something that's an interesting idiom in the Bible. Samson's included, Zedekiah. But I think Jesus gave us a little bit of a commentary on this idea of blinding. What sin does, it binds you up. We talked about that on Sunday, but it also blinds you like Samson, but also Zedekiah. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 12. He says, but though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on Jesus. So first of all, they would not believe on Jesus. That saying of Isaiah, the prophet might be fulfilled, which was spake of the Lord, who hath believed our report? To whom the Lord, arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe because Isaiah said again, he hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted. Zedekiah is a picture of those who know that God exists, but they would not believe. So then the Lord hardens their heart so that they could not believe and then, or sh you know, should not believe or see so that they eventually could not. Um, that's the way it works. And it sounds harsh and brutal, but the Lord says, listen, I want you to see and I want you to be saved. But if you harden your heart against the Lord, the spirit of the Lord will not always strive with man. Zedekiah is a picture of that hardened sinner who just says, yeah, whatever, I'm not gonna believe in God. And there's eventually a time like with Zedekiah, the Lord will say, well, you don't wanna see what Jeremiah said. You don't wanna see what I've shown you, Zedekiah, so you won't see. And that's what happens to the non-believer. There's a point of no return. Now, the tough news is you and I don't know what that is. I think the Lord does that on purpose so that we always share the Lord with people, even if we think they're the most lost sinner and that they would never come to Christ. There's people I've seen come to Christ that were the last people on the earth I would have thought come to Christ. So don't ever give up sharing the good news with people. But the Lord knows, and there's a time where he can harden someone's heart and you can share the gospel till you're blue in the face, but they will not see because they've made that choice. Zedekiah is the picture of that, which is really a sad story. So the first thing we see is a king dethroned. Secondly, we see the city demolished. Verse 12, now in the fifth month of the 10th day of the month, which was the 19th year of Nebuchadnezzar, <coughs> king of Babylon, <coughs> excuse me, came Nebuchadnezzar Adan, <coughs> captain of the guard, which served the king of Babylon in Jerusalem. And he burned the house of the Lord of the king's house and the houses of Jerusalem and the houses of the great men burned it he with fire. <clears throat> and, they, uh, and all the army of the Chaldeans. 
that were with the captain of the guard break down all the walls of Jerusalem round about. Uh, they wanted to destroy it so that it would never be rebuilt again. One of the most fascinating archeological digs in Jerusalem right now is they're building up, digging up these ruins right now. And they found the palaces of David all the way back to David's time. It's really something. Um, <clears throat> when we go to Israel, <clears throat> that's one of the fun places we stop to see. So the, the city demolished. Number two, number three, the people deported. Verse 15, then Nebuzar Adan, the captain of the guard, carried away captive certain of the poor of the people and the residue of the people that remained in the city and those that fell away, that fell to the king of Babylon and the rest of the multitude. But Nebuzar Adan, the captain of the guard, left certain of the poor of the land for vine, uh, vine dressers and for husbands. Remember the poor people he left and they took over the Lake Oswego homes? We talked about that. Number uh, four section, worship denied. Verse 17, also the pillars of brass that were the house of the Lord, the bases and the brazen sea, that's the labor, <clears throat> that was in the house of the Lord. The Chaldeans broke and carried all the brass of them to Babylon. The cauldrons also, the shovels, the snuffers, the bowls, the spoons, the vessels, the brass, where they ministered and took away the basins and the firepans and the bowls and the cauldrons and the candlesticks and the spoons and the cups, which was of gold in, the, uh, in gold and that which was of silver in silver took the captain of the guard away. The two pillars, one sea and 12 brazen bowls that were under the bases, uh, which King Solomon had made in the house of the Lord, the brass of all these vessels was without weight. In other words, immeasurable. And concerning the pillars, the height of one pillar was 18 cubits, 18 cubits. A cubit is 18 inches, about the tip of your finger to your elbow. So these were huge pillars, two pillars. Do you guys remember uh, the pillars had uh, two names that were given to them by the Lord? Anybody remember? Uh, it's uh, Jekin and Boaz, which means strength and counsel. Uh, and so there's symbology going on here as these pillars are crushed down Strength and counsel is gone. That's what you lose when you sin. Strength and counsel. So the pillars, um, it says um, they were 12 cubits, did compass it, and the thickness was four fingers. Uh, it was hollow. <clears throat> and the chapter or the crown of these pillars was of brass upon it. The height of one chapter was five cubits um, with the network of pomegranates and the, the chapters roundabout of all brass. The second pillar, also the pomegranates were like these and they were the 90 and six pomegranates on the side. And all the pomegranates were the network were 100 roundabout. We covered this, um, by the way, when we were building the temple uh, during the Solomon era of our Bible study. And we talked about the pomegranates and the pillars and all their meanings. All this is now crushed, which has great meaning. Basically, they're toast, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, the fifth section of this, so, so far we had the king dethroned. Secondly, the city demolished. Thirdly, the people deported. Um, fourthly, worship denied. And then fifthly, we have the leaders are destroyed. It says in verse 24, the captain of the guard took Sariah, the chief priest of Ze and Zephaniah, the second priest, and the three keepers of the door. He took also out of the city a eunuch, uh, which had the charge of the men of war. And seven men of them that were near the king's person, which were found in the city, and the principal scribe of the host who mustered the people of the land. 
and threescore men of the people of the land that were found in the midst of the city. So Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, took them and brought them to, to the king of Babylon, to Riblah. Riblah, by the way, is the place where everything bad happens. If you find yourself in Riblah as a Jew during this time, you're pretty much dead. That's where Zedekiah gets his eyes poked out and his son's killed. But it's also what happens here, verse 27. And the king of Babylon smote them and put them to death in Riblah, in the land of Hamat. Thus Judah was carried away captive out of his own land. Um, and then this, then this, uh, then is the people whom Nebuchadnezzar, this is the people whom Nebuchadnezzar carried away captive. In the seventh year, 3,000 Jews, three, uh, and three and 20, in the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar, he carried away captive from Jerusalem 832 uh, persons. And in three and 12th year of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, carried away captive of the Jews 745 persons. All the persons were 4,600. Remember, these are numbers uh, that were kind of different than the way we would number it. They were numbers of men of war, men that could fight. Um, so you kind of have to do the different kind of counting if you count women, children, and elderly. Um, the only thing that mattered to them is how many men could kill you. <laughs> you know, who could fight? And that's how they numbered these people. Finally, uh, this is the, the last uh, several verses here we covered on Sunday. Let's finish and then we'll call tonight. It came to pass in the seventh and thirteenth, uh, pardon me, seventh and thirtieth year of the captivity of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the twelfth month, in the five and twentieth day of the month, that evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the first year of his reign, lifted up the head of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, and brought him forth out of prison, and spake kindly unto him, and set his throne above the throne of the kings that were with him in Babylon, and changed his prison garments, and he did continually eat bread before him all the days of his life. And for his diet, there was a continual diet given him of the king of Babylon. Every day a portion until the day of his death, all the days of his life. Whew. There it is. Good job, you guys. We made it through. Uh, <laughs> Jeremiah. If you missed our study on Sunday, I think there's a pr profound correlation with how the king of kings treats us. Uh, the way this Jehoiachin, who didn't deserve one good thing, gets all kinds of good stuff. It's you and me. That's a great picture. So we have the book of Lamentations starting next week. It sounds depressing. Uh, it is, but there's, there's actually some really great stuff there too. So I'm looking forward to uh, Lamentations. There's some glorious scriptures in there. So we'll be looking at that next week. Lord, um, this reminder of the greatness of this world and the most powerful thing this world can muster up and the beauty that we build and all the glory of Babylon is nothing in your sight. Lord, that you are able to um, take and put down the mightiest of nations. And Lord, we see how this world is becoming a Babylon in and of itself, the whole world. As largely we reject you and rebel against you, Lord, we see how in the last days, you're gonna pour out your wrath, even as you do upon Babylon and all these other nations. We see how you're gonna do it in the last days as well. But how thankful we are, 1 Thessalonians 5 says, we are not appointed unto that wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. How thankful we are that you protect us, that you preserve us, that you love us, that you save us. Lord, I pray that we would have a heart to speak the gospel to those that won't believe um, Lord, give us a boldness to speak the truth that others might know you and your love and your compassion. 
that they not be part of that judgment and wrath that is coming. So give us wisdom. Help us to be more like Jeremiah in days that are like the days of Jeremiah. Lord, we find ourselves in similar predicaments. Help us to be faithful. Help us not to be afraid. Help us to not be cowardly when it comes to speaking the truth. And we pray your covering upon your people in these days. In Jesus' name, amen.